for falling, uh, and she, even as we speak right now, uh, my sister's there at the hospital, and uh, they're, they're trying to manipulate her hip back into place. And, and so let's pr- please join with me in prayer that that will work, uh, and there's not going to need to be another surgery. Uh, and then from there, there, there's still some things to, to, to deal with. But God bless you for your prayers. Thank you so much for your prayers this week. I, I sensed them. I knew that they were coming, and it meant such a great deal. And so thank you for that. Uh, speaking of, that this song meant more to me this week than ever before. I was reminded of a, um, a devotion I read years ago. I think it was by Dr. David Jeremiah that reminded us, if you're going to be a God is good, praise the Lord, Christian, you better be one 24-7. How many times do you hear God is good, you know, no cancer, uh, job promotion? How many times do you hear God is good, this thing doesn't look good? You know, this, this circumstance is, is heavy. God is still good. He didn't change, amen? And so... Uh, so you help me sing this song, because I may not be able to do it, but um, help me sing this song today. The choir's going to share with you, and, uh, and then we want you to join in as well.
Romans 5, 1 and 2 together, please. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained faith into the grace with which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Obtained access by faith. We're going to see that today in the message from another passage, obviously in Ephesians. And we're going to sing about it today from a great Charles Wesley hymn, Bold I Approach, I Have Access to the Eternal Throne and Claim the Crown. How? Through Christ my own. These great hymns and choruses that we sing, I pray, teach us something about God. And and let God transform our lives through these truths today. Let's sing it together.
I would ask you to make your way. Hip pop back in place. Everything went well. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For glory. Answered prayer. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's begin reading this morning in verse 11. Verse 11 of the book of Ephesians. Next week we'll begin to... Look into the incredible prayer where Paul begins in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Uh, We look forward to that. And I actually looked at verses 11. Verse 11 is packed, of course. Verse 12 and 13, I thought this week, you know, um, what am I going to get out of this text? Boy, you should never ask that when you approach something as rich as the Word of God. But it is so rich for us today. Beginning in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our, through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Today we're going to see the eternal purpose 
in Christ Jesus, and the subtitle is Holy Boldness and Suffering. Robert Murray McShane lived from around 1800 to 1843, and he was a pastor theologian. Let me say, as I mentioned those words, you shouldn't ever be a pastor if you're not a theologian. So what's wrong with our churches today? We don't have pastor theologians, but we should. Robert Murray McShane said, If I can hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. And then he said, Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Amen? Now, that brings to light in our hearts and minds what we find written in the book of Hebrews. Just stay where you are. But we know what the Bible says to us in chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near. Here are those two words that you're going to see in the text before us, uh, which give us the understanding of boldness and access. And, of course, we draw near to the throne of grace. And then in 725, in reference to Robert Murray McShane's comment, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to him through God, draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I think we don't take advantage of the access that we have to our God enough. I would say that we may go days, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years, and we don't really think about the access that we enjoy. We don't think about the work of Christ on Calvary where he expiated, expiation, where he covered our sins and thus propitiated, or vice versa, because he has propitiated the wrath of God, your sins are covered, right? And thus you have access to God. We don't think about that, but I hope you will today. Now, Paul has been soaring with theological subjects such as the distance, such as the mystery of Christ. You see it here? That's my grandbaby boy there going out, by the way. I don't care if he cries. He's in my state, all right? So the mystery in Christ that's in this text that we've been looking at, how the mystery was made known. Again, the emphasis more upon what's revealed and less upon what's concealed, right? We're, we're, we're dealing more with the revelation that's given in this mystery. But how about the administration of God's grace, which was defined here? Those are soaring, incredible theological terms. So he was, Paul was actually called to preach, remember this? The incomprehensible wealth of Christ. And to bring to light the very manifold wisdom of God. Those are huge things. And then he here he bursts forth with truth that all of this has a God-centered, holy purpose. So in other words, the themes of the glory of Christ, the grace of Jesus, the wisdom of God. Those things should cause our hearts to soar. So, do these themes have implications for us? If we had time, we would go back and look at them. Chapter 3, verse 1, all the way down through. Remember, this is a divine rabbit trail. Remember, Paul starts off in verse 1 like he's going to pray, and he doesn't actually pick up the prayer until verse 14. But 2 through 13 is a rabbit trail. But the difference in the preacher chasing one, mine's not inspired, right? 
Paul's rabbit trail is inspired. And so he's going to return back to his prayer in verse 14 clearly. But these themes... What, what should these themes, like the mystery of Christ and the glory of Christ and the uh, administration of grace and the purpose of God, verse 11, the eternal purpose in Christ Jesus, what should that do to us as his people? What should those themes create in us? The fact of the matter is, there are implications that emerge. But there are also questions that come out of it because we struggle with things like the eternal purpose of God. So maybe there will be questions that come up, and I would even say this. There'll either there'll also be at times some objections to the eternal purpose of God and the administration of the grace of God. What should the themes of the unfathomable riches of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God, the eternal purpose in Christ Jesus, what should it birth within us? What should the glory of Christ And the sovereignty of God shape within us. Well I would tell you that it should create a holy boldness. That's what it should create within us. So consider this astonishing application. He's drawing out this application. We would be tempted to think that there's not much here. But folks this is rich and it is deep. God ministered to my heart all week thinking about this particular text. So the passage creates in us a holy boldness for for the people of God. And it also creates for us the correct understanding of affliction and tribulation when it comes into our lives. When's the last time you heard a sermon about tribulation and affliction and trials and God working in us? Well, Paul says in verse 13, don't be discouraged. Why? Because he's connecting suffering and glory. We don't hear many sermons about that, but Paul is giving that to us. So, why is confidence in God great among some and not so great among others? Did y'all know that this COVID pandemic has pushed confidence to God or lack of it to the forefront? Y'all do realize that, don't you? It has. And why is it that some people have such great confidence in God but yet others just seem to wilt and not I'm I'm telling you folks it's because of what's in this text and how it is the truth of God yet we fail to apply it into our own lives that's the problem okay so I would submit to you that faith will never be found without these effects or the fruit therein if you really have holy boldness and you really have Uh, the right understanding of suffering, then it is because of this massive theological, it is because of the massive theological principles that you've grappled with in your mind and you've taken hold of those and it makes the difference in the way you live. One great theologian said this, a firm, steady, conscious, victorious faith against the gates of hell, this indeed is the sure proof of faith. Wow, what a statement. To trust Christ as mediator, And to rest with assurance of God's fatherly love. And to dare boldly to to claim his promises ourselves. And the main one being eternal life. And not to tremble at death or hell. That is holy boldness. Now we're not talking about carnal presumptuousness or arrogance. But we're talking about holy 
boldness. And let's not miss the ground for our holy boldness. God has now accomplished an eternal purpose in Christ Jesus the Lord. See it in verse 11? Got your eyes on the page? Scripture? This was according to the eternal purpose that has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Greek word for eternal, ionios, of the ages modifies the word purpose here. So again, it brings out that this plan of God had, that he had before the worlds were made. It's not something that just popped up in his mind all of a sudden as a last-ditch effort. It's not like God had plan A, then he had to move to plan B and C. This was the plan, the eternal plan of God from the foundation of the world. That in its fullest sense has now been realized in Christ Jesus. You all understand? So the idea is not that God brought up the plan, but that he had this plan in his mind before he created humanity. And he's now bringing it into realization. Let's have to remind you, Jesus Christ is the apex of God's plan. Amen? Now, again, Arnold, the commentator, gets this right when he says, Jesus is the basis, the means, the goal, and the incorporational head and center of all that the one true God has set out to accomplish. Now, consider when Paul was writing this to the Ephesians, where did they live? In Ephesus. There was a plethora of gods. It was very polytheistic. And so stop and consider in that kind of religious environment that the Ephesians lived in, the claim that Christ is the eternal purpose of God. Folks, that is enormous. And we have to be willing to say it in the United States of America too. That Jesus Christ is the apex of God's eternal plan. If you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. Right? So, this means that all other deities are false. Now, were Jews monotheistic? You better believe it. They believe only in one God, Yahweh God. Right? But here's the realization here. There's a new expression that you come to understand when Jesus comes on the scene. And that's this. Jesus Christ is God. Right? So, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Christ and Christ alone provides the only access to the one true God. So, Jesus Christ has been exalted to the right hand of God. A position of power and authority. And completely realize the plan of God on earth, summing up eventually all things in Christ. Do you see it? Chapter 1, verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in who? Christ, according in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. This will also include the ultimate subjugation of all hostile principalities and powers to our God's sovereign rule. I love what John MacArthur says right here. He says, in the classroom of the universe, God is the teacher, the angels are the pupils, and the church is the illustration, and the subject is the manifold wisdom of God. Wow, what a statement. Are you ready for the, for the points today? So, after the exposition of God's plan of salvation and the eternal purpose of God. See it, verse 11? This was according to the eternal purpose of God that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says, in whom? So two things I want you to see. Number one, we have boldness and access to God in Christ Jesus. We begin with this expression, in whom 
we have. Now, if you've tracked along, you know this is not the first time Paul has brought up access to God, is it? If you look back in 2.18, here's what it says. For through him we both have access, access in one spirit to the Father. So Paul is revisiting that theme. And he connects what Christ's eternal purpose and plan is to us in whom we have. In other words, he's bringing back this in Christ formula that is so vitally important. Check out chapter 1 verse 7. In whom or in him we have, you think it's important? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And this in Christ formula is so vitally important for us to grasp. If you're not in Christ, you don't have access to God. Period. Okay? So it's important. But notice how many times he uses this. Look at 111. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Actually, in the Greek language there, most of your translations may say in whom, because same understanding. So the in whom, in him, uh, for his purpose, in Christ, all of those things are bringing about for us this in Christ formula. Verse 13, in him you also. Chapter 2, verse 21. In him you also are being built together uh, into a dwelling place. Verse 21, I'm sorry. In whom and verse 22, in him. So it is just the expression, in whom. It doesn't sound that big, does it? You've got a, a prepositional phrase added uh, to a pronoun and you come up with the massive principle in the Word of God concerning who we are in Christ, which is so vitally important. It is loaded with all the benefits that come to us because we are in Christ Jesus, the Lord. So, when Paul starts this verse off, in whom we have, he's demonstrating to us once again that our union with Christ, folks, is absolutely everything. If you're not in Him, if you're not in Christ Jesus then you're not saved. So our union with Christ is everything. Burkhoff says, and I've given you this definition before, the union with Christ may be defined as that intimate, vital, spiritual union between Christ and his people in virtue of which he is the source of their life and the strength of both their salvation and all of their blessedness. Do I have to remind you of John 15? I am the vine and you are the branches, right? There's just... There's this vital union between the branch and the vine. The life and the sap comes from the vine, not from the branch. Right? So he's reminding us of this. The passage says, in whom we have, what? Boldness. And then he mentions a little later, confident access. So the Greek really reads like this. In whom we have the boldness and access. So you got one article that's covering both of those. The boldness and access in confidence. So the term boldness is used many times in connection with speech. Uh, now we've got some folks in this church that are probably bold in speaking. And sometimes we shouldn't speak, right? Uh, we have to remember sometimes God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should probably listen more than we speak. 
Amen? Right? So, here's the deal. It has normally to do with frankness. In other words, someone is bold because their speech conceals nothing. It is very frank. And Paul will use this in connection with his own speech when he's talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, we use great boldness in speech. There's the word. Yet, I said all that to tell you that's not the meaning here. Why is it? Because it is not the speech that is given to us, but the access. We have bold access. So the access is defined by boldness. So it can mean courage. It can mean confidence. It can even mean fearlessness. And if you have a copy to use devotionally at home of the NLT, and I say that because that's not a wooden literal translation. It's a thought for thought. But I love the NLT. It actually uses the word fearlessness before the Lord. So it can even mean fearlessness, especially in the presence of persons of high rank. Do I need to remind you that there's no higher rank than our God? So this is exactly what Paul is talking about. If you look over again in Hebrews chapter 4, I'll read it once again. Let us then with confidence, there's the word, boldness in the Greek, and draw near, there's your word for access, the same one found here in Ephesians 3, to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. And then over in chapter 10, verse 19, which is one of the most incredible passages in the Bible, period. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, boldness to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. So we're reminded in the passage of Scripture that we have this boldness. Now, folks, am I advocating a cockiness before God? Absolutely not. We're not talking about an irreverent attitude before the presence of God. This is not an impetus for you to fly into God's presence haphazardly thinking that you on your own deserve to be there. Right? The idea is in Christ God has granted to us a fearlessness and a boldness that comes straight, strictly, or should I say, and solely on the basis that you are in Christ. You don't have the access unless you can read the in whom we have. It's in Christ Jesus that you have the access. So, the Father says when you come to me, you come to me because of my Son. And when you do that, you can come boldly and you can come confidently. There's always this sense that as we enter, we know that we really have no right to be there except for Christ. Don't you sense that? That it's only through Jesus Christ that we can approach the Lord God. So let's just think back years and years ago when you used to have sovereign monarchs. And let's say that you're outside the palace and the guards are there and and they come to you and you're told that you're about to have an ear with the king. I mean, how would you feel? I'm going to enter the palace and stand before the monarch. Now back in that day, folks, he has all power over life and death, there would be a sense of deep reservation, wouldn't you think? Maybe, maybe even a little trepidation and fear, and maybe even a little avoidance. I would rather avoid this particular meeting with this sovereign monarch. What if at that point a friend were to slip his arms around you and over your shoulders and say, hey, 
a little lighter note, let's go see the king. Well, your heart would probably swell with a little more confidence to say, obviously, maybe this friend hath been before the king before. What if you find out that your friend is actually the king's own son? Not biologically, but eternally purposeful, coexistence, co-eternal for all the foundation of the world, right? What if you found that out? You then would walk in with confidence and boldness, not because of who you are, but because who you are with. Now hear this, folks. Because you are in Christ, you've been granted a boldness and a fearlessness before the Father. Again, not a brash irreverence. Why? Folks, learn this. Our God is a consuming fire. He is. And that has never changed. Why? It's called the doctrine of constancy or immutability. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we have this confidence before God because of Christ. He's given us boldness and access. And it's the ability. Access is the ability, check this out, and the right to approach God. It is the right to approach God in worship. Folks, we take that for granted as we come into this church. We take it for granted individual, individually as we worship the Lord. But folks, uh, again, I believe according to the book of Revelation that the height of Christian worship on this world, on this earth, is when believers are corporately together singing praises to God. Have you taken it for granted that God has given you this access to worship Him? It, it just doesn't come humanly. It's given to you by a divine gift. That you can actually worship the Lord. That you can actually pray to Him. So, it is the knowledge that not only am I accepted before God. Check this out. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am welcomed before the Father. Do we think on this? Do we practice it? Do we think about the implications of verse 11? The eternal purpose in Christ. And then do we stop and realize that part of that is your access to God. Because of Jesus Christ. So, any friend of the Son of God is welcome to the King's court. Right? God has accepted you in Christ and you are welcome. There's only one way for acceptance. And that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and His cross. He was crucified for sinners. It is only through the virtue, the merit, and the righteousness, and the sacrifice of another, not you, that we have acceptance and thus access before a holy, just, and right God. So boldness and access, again in this text, are governed by one article. In whom you have the boldness and access. It probably conveys something like this. In whom you have bold access. In other words, what I'm trying to get you to see is not only is it an external reality, but it brings about an internal change in us. Are y'all listening? There should be an internal attitude that I have based upon the external reality that Jesus Christ paid it all. And thus, because of that payment, I'm welcome before the king at all times, unhindered. So, do you have this Internal understanding and confidence. There's that word. So Paul is piling up these terms. Boldness, access, confidence. In Christ we have this bold, fearless access with God with full and deep confidence. Folks, do you understand this is one of the benefits of being in Christ? You have bold access with confidence. 
Do you know, believer, that God does not want you to refrain from communing with Him? He wants you to be welcome before Him. He wants you to have bold access. Hear this. He wants you to have Christ-centered confidence. And that's why I said early on, why is it that some people have great confidence in God and others don't have great confidence in God? Maybe it's because you have not internalized the bold, confident access that you have in the external reality of what Jesus has given us in Him. Maybe that's what's going on, okay? So, He doesn't want you to be bound in fear. He wants you to have bold access through His Son, whereby you come into His presence with a Christ-centered confidence. You know, you hear people say sometimes, Preacher, I'm just too unworthy. I just can't go to God today with my petitions. I just can't do it. I'm just too sinful. Now, that may sound like humility, but I'm going to tell you what that is. That is dishonoring what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. That's what it is. It is dishonoring the once-for-all sacrifice wherein God gave you this access through Christ. So, your access to God is not about you. It's not about your performance. It's about what Christ has done. Your access to God is not based upon whether you feel worthy or not. God forbid that any of us would ever feel worthy on our own before the king, right? But thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we are clothed with his righteousness. And we have confident access with the Father through him. So, today, believer, listen. In light of all these incredible theological terms of the mystery of Christ and the eternal purpose and the administration of grace, I want to remind you to come before the Father confidently. Take hold of your access. you got a right to be there. Not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done for us. Now check that next phrase out. You know, when you preach expositionally, I remind you of this all the time. When you preach book by book, verse by verse, we don't have an option to hiccup over anything. And you may think, well, there it is, confidence through our faith in Him. Now, does anybody have a copy of the King James Version this morning? Anybody? Wow, okay. Yes, we've got some. If you argue that KJV only controversy is why you carry a KJV, then you're wrong. It's not only, but it is a good translation, right? If you're arguing that. So, this phrase, do you see it? Our faith in Him is what the ESV says. The KJV is the only translation that translates it like this. By the faith of Him. So, this is the difference between an objective genitive. (laughs) Y'all having fun? Or a subjective genitive. Genitive. In other words, in whom we have boldness and access and confidence through the faith of Him, or it is like this text says, through our faith in Him. Now, I believe that it is uh, an objective genitive. Uh, I believe that it is from Christ, right? It is His faithfulness, right? That actually gives you the access. That's what I believe this text. In other words, I agree with the KJV, that it is by the faith of him. Now again, a lot of commentators and a lot of translations 
uh, actually use it as an objective genitive. In other words, I believe in a subjective, get that right, so you know, genitive. Some of you are going like this because you're confused. But I believe that we're talking about the f- that we have our access. So, most of our, again, most of our translations will say through the faith of him. Now, it would read like this. Through his faith or through his faithfulness. Now, if the first one is right, then our confidence before God is through the instrumentality of our faith in Christ. Is that true? Either one of them is theologically fine, okay? The second would be this. It is through the faithfulness of Christ that we have our confidence and access to God. So, our confidence before God is through Christ's faithfulness on our behalf. So, theologically, don't lose any sleep over this. Because both of them are absolutely true. Do we have confidence through our faith in Christ? Absolutely. Do we have confidence through Christ's faithfulness on our behalf? Yes. Help me preach it, right? It's the object of our faith that gives us confidence. We sing so many songs about faith, 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 and we never say what the faith's in. We got all these feelings. We got all these uh, guys talking about moving past any intellectual thinking whatsoever and just go to your affections, which is completely against the Bible. But think about this. It is the object of our faith that gives the confidence. It's not faith in faith. It is faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone that gives us his confidence. Yet hear me. Christ's faithfulness as our sacrifice, as our high priest, as our surety in heaven, gives us the confidence to have access with God. I want to remind you of something. If he ever stopped praying for you in heaven, you would be eternally lost. He prays for you. Look, he's able to save those to the uttermost. You know what that means to me in layman's terms? If he stops praying, you're not saved to the uttermost. But he is, all of those are in, in present tense. He is ongoingly praying for you without ceasing. Why? Because he stands in heaven for you all the time. That's where he is. So anyone here, have you ever obeyed God perfectly enough to have access with God? I can answer for that for you. No, you haven't. Because you say, well, I've kept nine out of ten. Well, you broke one. James said if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Right? So have we ever lived in such a way? How's your faithfulness to God actually been in order to give you access? How's your faithfulness been even this week? It is our covenant infidelity, actually, that is the motive for God sending his son into the world because we are covenant breakers, right? So you dare not enter his presence because of your faithfulness or even by your inherent faith or righteousness. It's always through Christ's faithfulness that we're able to enter into worship and prayer. It's always Christ's faithfulness where we have access to God. He trusted where I disbelieved, and that's so true for you as well. He was faithful when I was faithless. He trusted when I disbelieved. He is faithful in his his obedience when I was not faithful and I did not obey. He trusted the Father completely on his behalf. And that gives us confidence before God because his obedience is your obedience. You understand that, don't you? F.F. Bruce says, as his place before the Father is unchallengeable, so is ours. Because we are in him. Do y'all know as Baptists you've sung this before? It's called before the throne of God above. We, 
I think we sang this not too long ago, right? Here's the verse. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And as long I know that while he stands in heaven, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. Hallelujah. As long as he stands in heaven, which he will always stand on our part, right? Ever making intercession for us. Think about this. If your name is written on the breastplate of the great high priest. Just stop for a minute and think about that. They went in with all the regal robes and everything because God said, if you don't come in just like I'm telling you, you're going to die. And those priests year, year after year after year. And they could never fully atone for sin. But our great high priest went in with your name on his heart. With your name graven into his hands. Think about this for a moment. Signifying that you belong to him. No one can tell you to leave the presence of God as long as the Lord Jesus Christ is there in your stead. Bold access. When Christ is there, you in Christ belong there. John Newton wrote a lot more songs than just Amazing Grace. Grace is amazing, isn't it? Another song that he wrote, Ask what I shall give thee. Here's what he says. My soul, ask what thou wilt You cannot be too bold, since his blood for thee he spilt. What else can he withhold? Praise the Lord. It doesn't matter what your sins are this morning. It doesn't matter how many times you've disobeyed. To go to God in boldness and confidence and fearlessness is because of the blood. It's the blood-bought right of every child of God. Listen, folks. Dare to be a justified sinner clothed in the righteousness of Christ in the presence of God. Dare to do it. Why? Because that's the only way you can be there. Right? Dare to have that kind of confidence. Dare to be a sinner. Yes, through and through. Do I have to take a poll to find out if you are one? Right? Dare to be a sinner. Through and through. Saved by grace. Clothed in righteousness. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Covered in Christ. And before the presence of the Father. Exercise your boldness based completely on Jesus Christ, folks. Check this out. Paul has just said that God has this plan. It's even in accord with God's eternal purpose. Verse 11, the clear implication is that the God who has a plan that is according to his eternal purpose, who works all things out to his purpose, Ephesians 1.11, is a God who is absolutely sovereign. Right? For Paul, the fact that God had an eternal purpose and that he was absolutely sovereign did not nullify his call to pray. Because he's going to turn right around in verse 14 and begin to pray. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that question. If God is sovereign, then why pray? I can tell you one quick answer, because God told you to. Right? And there's multiple things that we could say about that. But I find it interesting that no one ever preached more on the purpose of God in election and God being sovereign and God's eternal purpose in Christ. And yet Paul did not allow that to nullify his responsibility to pray to God. And neither should we. Amen? So pray boldly and pray with confidence. All right. Did I make that one clear? 
bold, confident access. And finally, this, this is it. We are encouraged to remember that our suffering for Christ is a prelude to glory. Look at this. So I ask you, and look, folks, I get it. You live in America. This will not hit you like it does believers in China. This will not hit you like it does believers in Afghanistan. Right? It's just not going to do it. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Some translations will say this is for your honor. I don't like it. Not good. Because that's not what it means. We are encouraged to remember that our suffering for Christ is the prelude to glory. Do you see Paul's pastoral heart? Look, folks, if I preach, preach, preach through Ephesians, and you never feel the pastoral admonitions to take this grand theology that's soaring high and put it into your heart and life so that the implications are lived out, what good's it going to do for you? I mean, you can, have, you can be as theologically straight as a gun barrel, but just as empty on the inside. Right? So... This has to come out into your living. And so Paul, could you, could you hear the objection? All right, Paul, you are giving us the mysteries of God. You are giving us this incredible eternal plan. You say that God is sovereign, but you're in jail. Right? In other words, Paul, is this not a setback? You say God has this eternal plan. Do I have to remind you that's written in verse 11? You've got this eternal plan in Christ. But would the Ephesians maybe reject or, or back up a little bit and say, Well, Paul, you yourself are an ambassador to this incredible message, but you yourself are right now in jail. That seems to be contrary to everything that you've told us. As a matter of fact, that's very contrary to what Joel Osteen would tell you. It, it wasn't Paul's best life now in jail. I can promise you that. Right? So... Where is the triumph over the powers of darkness? He just said that all of this took place so that the rulers and authorities would see the magnificent mystery of Christ revealed to them. And yet, here is Paul in chains. How are triumphing in God's sovereign purpose and jail complementary? Right? I thought we were triumphing. I thought we were having the victory. But we're actually in jail. You know, there was an apostle... Uh, who thought about this? Or actually, should I say, there was a disciple named John the Baptist. Y'all remember him? And he's in jail, and he doesn't know it at the time, but he probably figures it out. He's going to lose his head because he preached the truth to a king who didn't like it. Well, actually, the woman didn't like it, right? Well, what does John the Baptist do while in prison? He sends out people to go speak to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in other words, he's asking that, should we look for another I'm in jail. Is this a setback? Right? So Paul says, I beg you. I get, it's, it's a very strong word in the Greek. I'm urging you strongly. Don't lose heart in my tribulations. Why did he say that? Because Paul understood the human heart. Right? And we've got a tendency to become discouraged. But here's the deal. Because the wisdom of God and the sovereignty of God and the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ are not contrary to tribulations and sufferings, we need to put a different thinking cap on, right? We need to be able to connect the dots of suffering with glory because the Lord Jesus Christ had to suffer to enter into his glory. Are y'all listening? And, and I know this is not resonating with you because you're an American. 
Uh, let's just be honest. We don't really know what it's like to suffer for the cause of Christ. But Paul is saying, my imprisonment is according to the sovereign purpose of God. Are y'all listening? I'm in chains according to the eternal purpose of God. It is through my imprisonment. It's, don't you understand, folks, that it's through the imprisonment that we have Ephesians and the prison epistles. They would have never been written had Paul not been placed in prison by the sovereign will of God. Can I show you how this works out? The chiefs don't play too late tonight, right? You're good. Let me show you. Listen, you need to see this for yourself. Second Timothy. Please look at this, and we're about, we're about finished. 2 Timothy. I want you to clearly see how Paul thought. And this is the way we should think. Chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Look at one more passage for me today. Okay, you ready? I hear the, I hear the pages turning. Listen to it. 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Are y'all listening, church family? But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose of grace. Does this sound familiar? Which he gave us in Christ. When? Before the ages began. Now let your eyes fall down to chapter 2 verse 8. Listen. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. As preached in my gospel, for which I am, see it folks, say it, suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Right? Listen to this. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Are you connecting suffering? What does it say? With eternal glory. Do you see it? This is not Paul doing this just for their honor. This is Paul doing this for their eternal glory. So he's saying, don't you realize I've been put in prison for a lot of reasons. For some of it, it's the salvation of the souls of others, which ends up in eternal glory. Do you understand that it is through my suffering that God has foreordained the gospel to go forward in this manner? Right? The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And folks, let me just remind you on a, on a very serious note. Our hearts ought to ache when Christians are dying for the cause of Christ around this world. We ought to ache over it. When you read magazines by the voice of the martyrs, which I would encourage you, encourage you to do, folks, do you realize the amount of violent persecution that are happening to men, women, and children because of Christ? The Chinese torture people. Because of their faith in Christ. It happens all over the world. These sufferings we know virtually nothing of in the U.S. So that suffering fits. Here's what you need to understand, folks. That suffering fits into the foreordained plan of God. So that the message of Christ in the gospel is propagated through the suffering of his people. And those sufferings are not a setback. They're not defeat. Those sufferings are the glory of the church. You only need here the term Elizabeth Elliot, except for some of you Gen Xers. You know who Elizabeth Elliot is? One of the joys of my seminary days. There were some seminary classes I did not enjoy, but I'm telling you, I enjoyed it when Elizabeth Elliot came to our chapel and spoke. I'll never forget it. 
just to look at a woman who gave it all for the gospel. And to think about this lady whose husband died at the edge of the spear. Five of them just slain over the gospel by the Alka Indian tribe. Just, just think about this. And she was asked about it being a tragedy. And she says, tragedy? This was triumph. Why? Because many of the Alka Indian tribe came to faith in Christ after they died. And not only that, but thousands of missionaries have received and listened to the call of God to be missionaries all because of Jim Elliot. Right? It wasn't tragedy. It was triumph. So, don't lose heart over tribulations. And folks, I need to tell you, it's going to get a lot harder in our country. We may, uh, we may be right along the lines of what it looks like to be in a full uh, social-driven, socialistic society where your religion is not tolerated. And what are you going to do? Paul says, you better not be ashamed of my testimony, right? Will you be ashamed of the gospel of Christ? This happens every day when young people go to school because it's just not cool to love Jesus, right? It's, it's not to the world, but we're not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. So this is how God designed for the gospel to come to you. Please get this in your mind. Suffering and glory. That was the Messiah's economy. He must suffer before he entered into his glory. It's the church's economy. Even our suffering fits into the manifold wisdom of God. So folks, whatever tribulations you encounter, whatever setbacks you have, we've got bold access to go to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords anytime we want to. God help us have a deeper sense of what it means to know the manifold wisdom of God. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bold access, holy boldness that we have. And God help us to think about suffering and glory. We thank you for the words of Scripture that remind us, Lord... We can go through just a difficult day when we're in the doldrums and we feel depressed and we think that we've just lost it. We have no idea what it means to suffer beatings and stonings. Lord, in jail and not in the jail like we have today, we have no idea what it means to suffer for your cause. God help us. Lord, your word tells us that if any man would seek to live godly in this age, he will receive persecution. God, help us. Help us to take that first part. Be willing to live a godly life. Lord, help us. Father, if there's someone here that is lost, Lord, you wouldn't think that hearing about tribulation and suffering uh, would be an invitation to the gospel. But Lord God, it was your suffering that brought us life. It was your willingness. As your word says, you did not consider your equality with the Father something to be grasped. But you made yourself of no reputation coming in the form of a servant. You, Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, were the greatest servant of all who died in our place. You died a substitutionary representative death. We deserve to die for our sin. But you paid it all. You gave us access. Oh God, help an individual here today that does not uh, understand belief. And may you move their heart from a place of disbelief and unbelief to believing in Jesus only 
for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Stand with me, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for thee, and that thou bidst me come to need this morning than peace with God. Now if you're saved, you know what it is to have peace with God and we live in the peace of God, which is amazing. But you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Can you imagine, listen folks, you could have come in this place with no access to the God of eternity and you can leave this place with full welcomed access all because of Jesus. Sometimes we think, well man, who in the world would want to give up that kind of deal? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Right? In your own heart and understanding, you can't know it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God. But you know what? Maybe the Holy Spirit of God is putting His finger in your mind and heart about your need for Christ alone. There is no access apart from Christ, folks. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said this, and no man can come to the Father apart from me. If you're lost today, you can have that access. How? By believing in Jesus only for salvation. One more verse. Let's sing. Just as I am, This is the clock, family. All right, seriously, the clocks, but spelled with a K. Amen. So Pete and Terry, and I've met with them like, what, 14 times now? No, I'm, no, just two, but uh, just a delightful couple. Uh, they had a lot of questions because they have a lot of church experience. And they like y'all, right? In spite of all their church experience, they do. No, they love the Lord, and I'm so blessed and thankful that they're willing for this to be their home. 
And so they stand before you today, and they're the newest members of First Baptist Church Ozark. All right? So we welcome uh, Pete, Pete and Terry Clock. Get to know them. All right? God is good. All right, head back that way. That's Mr. Chris Dixon back there. I don't know if you know him or not. Yeah, you got to know him. Everybody knows Chris. If you've been here any time at all, he will get to know you. And that's what disciple makers do, right? They get to know you. All right. Any announcement we may have missed, Brother David? No Bethlehem tonight? Well, they're the, the guides you're going to meet, but they know what time. And all. Okay. All right. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful week. Hey, guys, I got a request for you. <laughs> all right. As we, before we just dismiss real quickly, let's, let's use this, this song to respond to what we just learned, okay, and as a way of saying, sort of galvanizing what we just heard and say, yes, Lord, I will, I will obey. I will follow. Praise the Lord, okay? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.